The scripture for this morning is Luke chapter 5, verse 1 to 11. You can follow along on either of the screens. One day, as Jesus was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, the people were crowding around him and listening to the word of God. He saw at the water's edge two boats left there by fishermen who were washing their nets. He got into one of the boats, the one belonging to Simon, and asked him to put out a little more from shore. Then he sat down and taught the people from the boat. When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into deep water and let down the nets for a catch. Simon answered, Master, we've worked hard all night and haven't caught anything. But because you say so, I will let down the nets. When they had done so, they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. So they signaled their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both boats so full that they began to sink. When Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and said, Go away from me, Lord. I am a sinful man. For he and all his companions were astonished at the catch of fish they had taken. And so were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, Simon's partners. Then Jesus said to Simon, Don't be afraid. From now on, you will fish for people. So they pulled their notes up, pulled their boats up from shore, left everything, and followed him. God, would you show us your face? Would you renew this story that we might have heard so many times before? Would you refresh it for us today? In Jesus' name we pray. Hey everybody, my name is Jordan. Uh, I'm one of the pastors here at Renaissance. Uh, Very, very glad to be with you guys today. Uh, We're in a series called Encountering Jesus. Um, uh, Here's what our hope is in this series. Um, To the people in this room who've been around Christianity for the last couple of decades, um, if you're like me, uh, you probably have to fight against the tendency and the temptation to say, been there, done that, got the t-shirt, heard that message before, read that scripture before, uh, and you can kind of get pretty stagnant. Stagnant. If you're like me, you'll turn into a know-it-all. Uh, and for new people, uh, one of the more difficult things is to, where do you jump in? It's like doing the double dutch. Like, where did, when am I going to take my turn to get into the water? Um, we want you to be able to experience Jesus for the first time uh, in a long time, or maybe the first time ever in your life. So before we get into today, I just want to have a brief word of prayer uh, that God would meet us here regardless of where we are. Heavenly Father, uh, I thank you for today. Uh, I thank you that we get to spend time together as a family, looking at your word. God, I just pray that you would meet us. Uh, You know exactly where we are. You know exactly what we need. Uh, You know all of the ways that we fall short. Uh, You know all of the ways that I will fall short of proclaiming the goodness of your truth. And God, I just pray that you would meet people exactly where they are and give them what they need. In Jesus' name we pray. One of the, the best things about living in New York uh, is that you get to meet people from all over, and sometimes friends that you have in New York move to another place, uh, and every time someone moves, they always say the same thing. They say, yo, you got to come out and come stay with us, and my wife and I are the type of people that if you invite us, we will come. <laughs> we have some friends in San Francisco that invited us out, and he says, hey, um, you should come out and spend a couple of days. I'm like, ah, a week, and we're going to be there. <laughs> And we're bringing our kid to tear your house up. Now, our friends um, have five kids. Five. Cinco. 
I don't know any other languages on how to say it, but they got a lot of kids. And um, when they were there, when we were there, one night, uh, the mom offered to watch our son Jameson. Now, her kids range from about 12 to about two. And even if she's not the sharpest pencil in the drawer, at some point along the lines of raising five kids, she had to have figured it out. If for no other reason, self-defense. But as soon as she offered to watch Jameson and put him to sleep and give him his dinner, uh, I did what uh, a lot of first-time dads did. Uh, I went into the whole spiel of how to put Jameson down. Right, when you cut a sandwich, you know, give him peanut butter and jelly, but not the chunky peanut butter, because only serial killers eat chunky peanut butter, uh, and cut it in squares about one by one, right? We can keep the crust on, but, and I'm giving her instructions on how to do everything. When you tilt him back with the milk, make sure your left elbow is up, right? We don't want any air circulating. We want a good flow of milk. And about like five minutes into the instructions, I see Jessica staring at me. And I was like, oh, Jordan, she has five kids. If she doesn't know how to put him to sleep, nobody does. Now, a piece of me imagines uh, that the story we're going to get to today in Scripture is similar to first-time dad telling five-time mom how to put some kid to sleep. Uh, And it starts off with Jesus and a guy named Peter. Now, if you've been around uh, church for a little bit, you probably know who Peter is. Uh, Peter is one of the apostles, one of the guys that was really close to Jesus. Um, And he actually wrote a couple books of the Bible, and he he and Jesus were were pretty close. Uh, But he didn't start out as an apostle, whatever that word means. He didn't start out as a guy who was writing scripture. Uh, Peter started out as a fisherman. And not just was he a fisherman, but his dad was a fisherman. This was generational. His older brother, Andrew, was a fisherman. His boys, James and John, were fishermen. And if there's one thing that Peter knew how to do, it was fish. Now, the story starts out with Jesus asking Peter, can he use his boat? And Jesus is like, yeah, let me hold your boat for a couple of minutes. I'm just going to push out a little bit and uh, use it as my, my, my pulpit. Now, where Jesus was, it was uh, a, a perfect place for him to use the boat as a pulpit, as a stage of sorts, so that the crowd that was around Jesus could hear him and understand. Now, that wasn't a peculiar thing. Jesus is a preacher. He asked to use your boat, you know, to use your boat so he can preach a sermon. That fits into the narrative that Peter, I'm sure, was comfortable with. Even though Peter was probably tired, he says, all right, fine, uh, you can use it. Now, what happened next uh, is something that Peter was not ready for. Uh, What happened next was something that Peter uh, had to be feeling as weird about as me telling that first, that five-time mom of how to do something. What happens next is Jesus, in in verse 4, says, when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into the deep water and let down the nets for a catch. Now, Peter, um, if you guys, um, for those of you who are history buffs in the room, Jesus was not a fisherman. He worked in carpentry, Like, Jesus put Ikea furniture together. He was not out here. He did not know how fishing was supposed to go. Uh, And he was a preacher. He dealt with words and and wood. So for Jesus to be giving Peter instructions on how to fish uh, had to be striking Peter in uh, a pretty confusing way. Not only that, but Jesus was basically asking Peter to do overtime labor at the least productive time of the day. Peter's response to Jesus is, um, Master, we have worked hard all night long, and we haven't caught anything. But because you say so, I will let down 
the nets. Now, here's what's going on with Peter um, and what every fisherman would have known is that the best time to go fishing is at nighttime. At nighttime, the water is the same temperature. The, the sun is not heating the water at the top too much, so fish come up to the top. So if you want to catch fish, you would just go at nighttime. And, and Peter is saying this to Jesus. Listen, we've gone fishing all night long. When it was prime, uh, when it was prime time to go fishing, we did it. We tried all night long, and we didn't catch anything. And the only thing Peter wanted to do was go home, turn on his DVR, and catch up on This Is Us. That's all he wanted to do. <laughs> and now you have Jesus saying, hey, Peter, I want you to do overtime, and I want you to do it at the worst possible time of the day. Now, Peter knew what all fishermen knew, that you won't catch any fisher, fish uh, during the daytime. Um, but Peter, his phrase, one that rings in my ears, and I hope it rings in your ears also, is... Because you say so, I'll do it. Hey, I don't think this is a good idea. I think this is a terrible idea, as a matter of fact. But because you say so, I'm going to do it. Hey, today we're going to explore um, from this account of Peter and Jesus what it looks like for me and you to encounter God and what it looks like for me and you to follow uh, God. After Peter let down his nets, uh, it says, when they had done so, they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. So they signaled their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both boats so full that they began to sink. Now, after Peter has this, this miraculous catch, that's what it's known in theological circles as, um, Jesus turns to him and says something that I'm, sh I'm sure frightened him to no end. And I would love us to feel some of this terror. He says, Peter, it's me and you from here on out. We're going to be doing this forever, except now we're not going to be fishing after just fish. We're going to be fishing after people. Now, here's what Peter would have been feeling that, at that moment. He knew that as a result of encountering Jesus, his previous course of his life that he had already determined for himself was done. He had now encountered Jesus, and Jesus was calling him to do stuff, and he knew that God was going to do stuff inside of him that was going to change his life up forever. Now, imagine if Jesus shows at your, at your job, and he gathers some people in the break room. He's like, hey, can I teach a Bible study real quick? You're like, yeah, yeah, definitely. That joint's going to be an amazing Bible study. He teaches it, great lesson. Um, and then he comes back to your desk, and he's like, all right, I'm going to show you how to run this program. You're like, Jesus, Excel doesn't even do that. Like, I don't even, <laughs> did they have Excel when you were, like, you don't, this is not even as the program runs. Uh, but then, what happens in your job, in your day, in, in, is the most productive thing that's ever happened. Whatever your most productive day is, it exceeded that by a, a hundred. And now Jesus turns to you and says, hey, from now on, from now on, after you've seen my power, after you've seen what I could really do, hey, this is going to impact you in every single area of your life. And it's, from now on, you're going to follow me. It's going to be me and you. Now, Peter um, gets this sense of terror and awe of encountering Jesus. And one of the things that we feel uh, as we're going through the series is we're trying to get a good understanding and a good picture of what it looks like to actually encounter Jesus. Now, for some of you guys, you're brand new and you're not there just yet. You're, you're like, I'm still, I'm not in the boat with Jesus just yet. I'm on the shore, uh, right? And, and that's cool. That's a great place to start. Uh, you might just be witnessing and watching other people uh, having this in encounter with Jesus, and you might know somebody, it might be the person who invited you here today, that has, uh, you've seen their life take some 
uh, sharp turns that you didn't think they were going to turn. And now you're kind of curious, like, man, what made you take that turn in, in your life? And if that's where you're at, uh, the good news is um, there are no bystanders in God's kingdom. Uh, he's working on you in the same way that he's working on uh, the rest of us. But we're looking at this encounter with Jesus to help us get a good image of what God is like. Now, we said the same scripture uh, last week, and we're going to say it every single week. Uh, it's Colossians 1 and 15, and it, here's why we're doing this series called Encounters with Jesus, because Jesus is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. And if you and I want to get a good understanding of what God is like, we have to get a good understanding of what Jesus is like. And these encounters, these one-on-one scenarios taken right from the Gospel of Luke will show us what Jesus is like, and in turn, show us what God is like. Now, we've said it a number of times, but the most important thing and the most important question you will ever answer is, what is God like? Who is God? If you and I can answer that question well, uh, then we'll live a life where we can actually enjoy fruit and fruitfulness and walk with God. But if our understanding of who God is is off, then everything that flows out of that will also be off. And today we're seeing a couple things um, in this scripture, uh, what God is like, Uh, even better, How should you and I respond to to, to God? Uh, What is God really like? Uh, What can the scripture show us about what a real encounter with God is really like? And even better, how should we respond? Now, this encounter shows us what it's like to encounter God. And it's not like the movies, right? Nothing ever is. Uh, It's not like the movies where somebody gets like the warm and fuzzy feelings and there's a church service and somebody like holds up the service at the end of it and the organ is playing in the background. Um, encountering God does a, a couple of things to us, and a couple of things we're going to see in the scripture. Uh, the first one is, uh, what does God want from us? What God requires from you? Like, if there's a God, and if uh, God is real, and if you were to meet God, and if God were to be in your life, what would God require from you? Even better, what would God do to you? If you were to be in a rhythm, if you were to be in a relationship with God, if you're growing a relationship with God, what would that growing relationship look like? What would God be doing to you inside of you? And thirdly, what, would God do, what could God do with you if you chose to follow him? Now, first one, what does God require from us? Uh, we're going to see this in the scripture. God requires commitment before certainty. God requires commitment before certainty. Uh, We see this really clearly in this passage. What Jesus required from Peter in this encounter was that Peter would commit to Jesus before Peter was certain of anything of what Jesus was talking about. Verses 4 and 5, if you've got your Bible open, it'll also be in the screens. It says, when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, uh, and just for um, a quick note, Simon Peter is the same person, so I'll be using those names interchangeably. Um, It says, when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into deep water and let down the nets for a catch. Simon answered, Master, we've worked hard all night long and haven't caught anything, but because you say so, I will let down the nets. And as I said earlier, um, Jesus was calling Peter to do overtime uh, labor at the least productive time of the day. Now, Peter was not a salaried employee. He wasn't working for the MTA where it was like, well, overtime, that's time and a half, baby, right? I'm getting that money regardless. <laughs> Peter was a fisherman, and if he caught fish, he made money. If he didn't catch fish, he didn't make any money. So there is no incentive for Peter to do something if it wasn't going to actually bring in fish. 
And here's what Jesus is calling him to do. Jesus, this carpenter, is telling Peter, the trained fisherman, to do something that made pretty much no sense whatsoever. And Peter's response is the response um, of what it would take to become a Christian and what that walk would look like every day as a Christian. I might, I would not have done it like that unless you said it, but because you say so, I'll do it. Now, Peter's response was commitment uh, before certainty. And um, one of the things that's really, really, really important about a good litmus test on whether or not you and I are following Jesus of the Bible or following the Jesus of our imagination is whether or not that Jesus calls us to do stuff that we would not have ordinarily done. Right? A lot of us have this Jesus. It's like, yo, that's a great coincidence. I was just going to do that. And Jesus wants me to do that. I love you, Jesus. You are, you are so amazing because you just love everything I do. <laughs> hey, a lot of us have um, this, this version of Jesus, and it's basically us in a super, uh, Superman costume. It's just a better version of us, and that this Jesus loves everything we do, hates everything we hate. And that Jesus never calls us to commit until, we know some, until we're really sure that we should really be doing this. Hey, that is not the Jesus that we see in Scripture. Um, what Jesus calls us to do is for you to commit uh, well before there's any certainty. And as a matter of fact, all throughout Scripture, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, Jesus doesn't call people or evaluate what they believe. He simply says, follow me. You don't understand what's... Hey, you, you, you me and you, let's go. We're, we're going. Where are we going? Just walk. And one of the most difficult things, admittedly, uh, about Christianity is this notion that Jesus cri- requires commitment before certainty. And if you and I would follow Jesus, uh, it means that we would uh, be putting ourselves in vulnerable situations. Now, commitment is not commitment unless it, require, unless it costs you something, unless it makes you vulnerable. Uh, one of the definitions of commitment that I like is putting your weight on something to the point of vulnerability. That's what commitment is putting your weight on something to the point of vulnerability that if it breaks, you're going to go down with it. If it doesn't come through in the way that you want to come through, you're going to be negatively affected. Now, one of the things that uh, is so difficult right now in the national conversation in churches all over the country is the issue with uh, refugees. And we see all throughout Scripture, this is not even like something that's debatable. This is not who is the high priest of Melchizedek, where nobody really knows what's going on. All throughout Scripture, and you don't even know who Melchizedek is, all throughout, <laughs> all throughout Scripture, that's a, I'm a Bible nerd, that's the only reason I know that. All throughout Scripture, over and over and over and over and over again, you see God's heart for refugees, for the poor, for the vulnerable. And here's what we don't want as Christians in America. We don't want our commitment to take us to a place that will make us vulnerable. So we have, we'll devise any system of thought. We'll, we'll, we'll go around in circles and circles and, and try to convince ourselves that this is a good thing. And to be perfectly honest, no matter what you want to believe in life, there's somebody that will tell you that. You can do anything, like whatever it is, just Google it, and it will autofill the rest for you. No matter what you believe, there will be somebody that tells you that that's okay. Um, and here, here's a version of Jesus that I don't want me and you to have. I don't want you to have a version of Jesus that doesn't require vulnerability from you. I don't want a version of Jesus that is uh, not Jesus that we see in Scripture that doesn't require that you put your weight on him to the point of vulnerability. 
And here's what's so beautiful about Jesus calling us to commitment before certainty and the vulnerability he requires from us. And this is uh, comes straight from the good news of the gospel message. Jesus calls me and you to be vulnerable only because he first was vulnerable for us. Jesus went to that cross and he's beaten, he's bloody, and he's naked. And why did he do that? So you can earn something with God? No, 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 no. He bought our salvation for God. Um, he, he, he paid our ransom. He paid the debt for us, and he ultimately was vulnerable for us and now calls me and you to be vulnerable in life with him. Now, listen, um, the type of walk that God is going to put us in is always going to require commitment before certainty. And this is not just for somebody who's trying to decide whether or not you're going to put your faith in Jesus for the first time. This is an everyday thing. A scripture we'll see in a couple of weeks from now in, uh, on Palm Sunday is a scripture where Jesus goes to Peter and says, Peter, go into the town, find this donkey that's never been ridden, and tell the, and tell the man that the master has a need of it. And Peter's like, all right, I'm just going <laughs> to go to the Bronx and ask the dude, can I hold your donkey? And he's going to be good with that. He's going to be cool. Hey, the entirety of our walk with Jesus is one that will require commitment before certainty. Now, one of the most painful things that um, I experience on a, on a weekly basis, if not a daily basis, is uh, just this, this rub uh, of having to commit my life and my actions uh, before I have any certainty whether or not it's going to go okay. And I see this so much in my life, and I see this so much in the community, uh, particularly when issues come up uh, with uh, you know, our finances, and we want to be, be certain that if we do this, this is going to be good, and we're never going to give in such a way that is vulnerable to us because we're always requiring that we know the outcome before we do anything. We're not going to forgive anybody because we don't feel like they deserve it. I don't know how it's going to work. They're going to think I'm weak. They're going to think all these different things um, if I forgive them, uh, and I don't, want, I don't know what's going to happen, so I'm just not going to do it. And listen, the life that you and I are called to live on a daily basis is to commit our ways to Jesus well before we're certain. Now, this is for the Christians in the room. Uh, the most God-glorifying thing you can do with your life, the most God-glorifying thing you can do with your day, with your time, is to be dependent on God's strength and not your own. It's to depend on God's wisdom and not your own. And for you and I to spend our lives invested and dependent on God, that if the, the hallmark of our life isn't wisdom, isn't that we've gotten it all figured out, but that you and I have devoted our lives in, in dependence on God for our every single move. There's one scripture that a lot of you guys have memorized. You've seen it on a plaque in your coworker's space. Uh, it's a scripture that uh, for the rest of time will, will give me life every single time I read it. It comes from Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Um, you've heard it before. It says, trust in the Lord with all your heart. And lean not on your own understanding. In all of your ways, submit to him, and he will make your path straight. Here's what we see in, in Scripture with Peter. He didn't lean to his own understanding. He submitted to the Lord, and God made his paths straight. If you don't get anything else for today, uh, write that Scripture down and, and, and memorize that this week and go over it. And think about what are the areas in your life um, that you haven't submitted to the Lord. What are the decisions? And this is not for everybody, but this is certainly for somebody. Uh, there's always people that have to make decisions, and you, you know what God is calling you to do, and you also know all of the uncertainties you have. And here's what I want you to do. I want you to go through this scripture, and I want you to pray for boldness, for God to give you the courage to make the decision that you know you need to make um, in following him with commitment, regardless if you have the certainty of how it's going to work out.
Now, the second thing that we see in the scripture, uh, after we see certainly God calls us to have commitment uh, before certainty, uh, the second thing that we see is what God does to us, uh, and it's a word called transformation. So what does God require from us? God requires commitment before certainty from us. And what does God do to you? Uh, he'll do the thing that you can never do on your own. He'll do the thing that I can never do on my own, and that's transformation. And transformation has a couple of different uh, aspects to it. The first aspect that we see here in the Scripture, uh, we see in verse uh, 8, it says, uh, when Simon Peter saw this, so, you know, there's a catch, uh, and they got all of this fish, way more than they ever thought in a million years they could ever have, so much so it was about to sink the boats. And when Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and said, go away from me, Lord, I am a sinful man. Now, one of the signs that someone is near to God, one of the, the indicators and the markers that you are um, in contact with God, the real, uh, the God of the Bible, is that you actually first develop a worse view of yourself. That's funny how that works, um, uh, and it's a necessary part of our transformation is that we first start with a, a, a poor view or, or a lower view of ourself. And here's the, one of the best ways I know how to explain it. It's impossible to come into contact with greatness and not feel worse about yourself. I have a new obsession. Uh, if you've talked to me for more than 30 minutes, you'll, you'll get this obsession. Uh, my wife is shaking her head right now because she knows what I'm about to say. I am obsessed with beards. I cannot. I, I, I read blogs on beards. I've been, like, getting my skin regimen, my moisturizer game up, uh, all because uh, I want a nice, robust, full beard. And there's sometimes I'll go out, and then, like, I'll see someone with an amazing beard. I'm like, oh, man, that's incredible. My wife's like, Jordan, it's our anniversary. You're staring at this guy's beard? Please, eyes here, eyes over here. I'm like, I'm sorry. I can't, I can't help it. It's impossible to come into contact with greatness and leave feeling the same about yourself. Uh, what you're going to do is you're going to start to notice all of the areas that you don't line up with. You're going to start to see all the areas that yours is not as good as theirs is. And here's what Peter is doing when he comes into contact with Jesus. This is what's happening. He has come into contact with the ultimate power. And he sees himself as powerless. When you, when you finally come into the contact with the God of the universe, the God of the Bible, that is love, it's impossible to not see how selfish and loveless you are. And the first sign of transformation is this awareness, is this encounter of yourself and how needy and sinful you are. And that's a beautiful, amazing first step that you and I would do well to realize that, have, have that as a part of every single one of our days. And, and this is why, quite frankly, uh, we are such advocates for community Bible reading and other things that would immerse us every single day in Scripture so that you and I uh, could live a life where we are encountering God in Scripture, and that would make us dependent on Him. That we wouldn't be walking around all proud and, and independent and boastful, but we would be dependent and humble, and, and that only comes in seeing us in relation to, to God in, in Scripture. So Peter tells the Lord, hey, get away from me. I am a, a sinful man. Now, Jesus' response to him was amazing. Uh, he doesn't tell Peter, uh, Peter, no, you're not that bad. Um, he, doesn't he doesn't excuse what Peter said about himself. Peter's assessment of himself was good and was accurate. Uh, but what Jesus does tell him, he says, uh, don't be afraid. 
don't be afraid. From now on, you will fish for people. Now, I thought about this. I was like, man, Peter's statement is, get away from me. I'm a sinful man. Jesus' response is, don't be afraid. Now, how do you reconcile those two? Uh, One thing I've been thinking about is there's one command in Scripture that's actually the most repeated command in all of Scripture is, do not fear because I'm with you. Here's why Jesus was telling Peter uh, to not be afraid. Because Peter was not being sent off by himself to work in autonomy, to work by himself. But Peter was being called in to relationship with Jesus. And what can you lack when you are with the Savior of the universe? Now, discipleship, what Peter was being called into, it wasn't that he would show up at Jesus' doorstep every Tuesday night from 7.30 to 9. If the conversation really got good, maybe 9.30, right? Uh, Peter was giving actually all of his life to Jesus. He was going to be walking alongside Jesus. They're going to be going to the same places, eating the same food, and he was leaving everything that he had known previously behind. And in some ways, Jesus was inviting Peter into a brand new circle, into a brand new family. Jesus doesn't uh, push Peter away because of his sinfulness. And Jesus won't do that to me and you either. He won't push you away because you have needs. Uh, God will accept us because he is enough, not us uh, on our own strength. And the third thing we see um, in this, in this scripture, uh, it comes from the last verse, uh, verse 11. It says, so they pulled up their boats on shore, left everything, and followed him. Now, this is something that was so interesting to me. I'm like, man, not only did they leave um, the boats behind to follow him, they also left the best catch they've ever had in their lives. They left, literally, the, the biggest professional success of their lives, they left it behind. Now, for Jordan, I have images in my head of what professional success would look like, of uh, how many zeros I need in the bank account with an actual digit in front of it. Uh, <laughs> that, would be, that would be successful. And imagine having the best professional, whatever your definition of success is, financially, relational, whatever that is, Peter got it. The biggest catch of his life, and he left it. Now, here's what we see about his encounter with God and what transformation looks like. Transformation is not that you just simply uh, convince yourself to spend the rest of your life miserable and saying no to stuff. That is not Christianity. That is not anywhere near Christianity. Christianity is you have found something better that is worth all of your time now. Now, our lives will always be poured out in the direction of the thing that has captured our hearts, the thing that we find to be the most beautiful, the most important thing in our lives. And this is what Peter found that day that enabled him to leave the catch and the boat and everything behind it. He had found something better in Jesus. Now, our goal of becoming a gospel-centered church, uh, one that we remind ourselves of the greatest message ever, single, ever told, is not that you and I would turn into nerds and memorize a, a bunch of scripture in and of it by itself, but that you and I would find something better in Jesus, that that would be the thing that would shape our lives, that that would be the thing that would motivate us in ways that we never thought we could be motivated otherwise. And we find that in Jesus on the cross. Now, here's why the vulnerability of Uh, committing my life to Jesus doesn't scare me as much, only because he first was vulnerable for me. In John 10 and 15, Jesus says, uh, I am the shepherd that lays down my life for my sheep. Now, we can be vulnerable. We can commit. We can give our lives. uh, We can leave everything behind and have confidence knowing that Jesus is not the shepherd 
that will simply abandon us or give us a, a pop quiz in the middle to see whether or not we're good enough. He is the one who first has laid down our, um, his life for us, his sheep. And God doesn't love us because we're good, but because God loves us, he will make us good. That's the beauty of the gospel. Now, the last thing uh, that we see in the scripture, uh, so we've seen, right? So what God requires from us is commitment before certainty. What does God want to do to us? Transform us. And the last thing we see, uh, what God does with us. Uh, And this is for you guys who have put your faith in Jesus in this room. Hey, what does God want to do with you? The answer is more than you can ever ask, think, or imagine. Now, I I love this um, example that we see in Scripture of Peter uh, having more fruitfulness, having more life than he could have ever thought or, or imagined simply because he put his faith and he was willing to commit to Jesus even before he knew what was going on. And one of the, the tragedies of the Christian life, of my own life, are, are the low expectations we have of God. One of the tragedies uh, of our walk with God are the, are the low expectations we have. Um, why, why should you submit to God? You know, our expectations are so low of him. Uh, and Peter, listen, the very thing that made no sense to Peter was the way that Peter was able to understand the power and the goodness of God simply by him committing his life uh, to that one act that Jesus was calling him to do. Peter was able to witness the power of God in his life. And listen, I don't know what decisions you got to make. I don't know where you are all at in life. But I do know this, that if you and I uh, will submit our lives to God, God will do more in our lives. And I'm not talking about putting your name on, on the billboard somewhere. I'm not talking about a million Instagram followers. I'm not talking about fame. I'm talking about more fruit in your life than you and I could have ever thought or imagined. I want to end with the scripture of Ephesians 3 and 20. It's a scripture that I've thought about many days in my life. Uh, Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we can ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. Heavenly Father, um, I I thank you uh, that you are gracious with us, and God, you call us to relationship with you. God, even the people who are uh, far away from you, uh, God, you you have bridged a gap in Jesus Christ to come near to us. And God, for those of us wrestling with where we should be, I just pray that you would give us uh, all of the boldness uh, to move in that direction. God, for those of us who have placed our faith in Jesus and have decisions in, uh, in, in mind, have situations in mind that we haven't uh, committed to because we um, were look, waiting for more information. God, I just pray for boldness that they would go ahead and move in the direction that you have called them to, uh, and we would see your, your faithfulness to us um, as we walk in your path. We love you and we thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.